<laughs> I have no idea if we're live yet or not. Um, we are theoretically live, I think. We? We'll see. So it's, the trick is that somebody in the chat has to say that we're live, and then we know that we're actually live. Uh, oh. <laughs> I think we're live because I just had an emotional. Oh yeah, I should have told you to make sure you turn off your uh, the live stream so that you don't get a chance to see it. <laughs> well, hey everybody, uh, welcome to a ooh, Larry. I'm gonna. Oh, stop! Stop! All right, there we go. And moderate, perfect. I just uh, deputize you, Larry. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special uh, live chat QA hangout with my buddy Isaac Arthur, who you may know. Isaac, how's it going? It's doing pretty well, Facial. Glad to be on, finally. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. We've never, I mean, we've talked on the phone, we've talked on like hangouts, but we've never actually like just kind of hung out and yacked with people and we've never kind of bolted in any kind of live stream so that people can hang out with us and and ask us questions so this is totally an experiment and uh thanks to everybody who uh who joined us today um now for anyone who has no i don't even know why i should do this right like should i introduce myself and not you, but because um, <laughs> I know that you've got a ton of fans, and uh, man, it is uh, people are pretty excited to kind of have this. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be have a really fun back and forth. So, if you have never seen who I am, I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, which is a space and astronomy news website that I've been running for almost 20 years now, uh, and I've been doing the YouTube thing for the last say five years. Co-host of the Astronomy Cast podcast, so. Lots and lots of space and astronomy news. Isaac, who are you? I'm Isaac Arthur. I'm the host of Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur and a longtime reader of Universe Today, actually. Oh. Someone was the other day, where do you go for news? And I said, well, Centauri Dreams and Universe Today. So have been the ones I've been using forever. And, um, well, let's see. I guess the SFI channel has been going for almost four years now. We yeah. All see Hard to believe it's been that yeah, long. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely crushing it, man. You're killing me. You're just, you're, you're rocking. I've, you know, when I, when I get 20 dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so just make sure you remember us when you cross that million mark. Um, I think that'd be a while still. Yeah. Uh, and, and, though, so. and so like, and your, and your educational background is in physics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went to, uh, went to Kent state for physics, uh, both grad school and undergrad. And, uh, about halfway through the doctoral program, I skipped town and ran off to the army for about a decade and, uh, came back home here to Asheville, Ohio. <laughs> um did you uh i'm just gonna make sure just be one thing you know you're fairly new just be careful with your mic control if you move back and forth too much then people can't you know then you move far away from the mic and the, and the volume changes but uh yeah um and so what were you going to study well the area i was in was theoretical biophysics of all things a subcategory of condensed matter at the time we were doing it, it was right after the uh, genome project had just wrapped up and my advisor, uh, Mike Lee from Kent, he had said, uh, and he was a theoretician, he had said he'd had a lot of time working on quantum chemistry. He wanted to see if he could do the same for, the, you know, for microbiology as we'd done there. And I don't think the computers were up to it even today, but they were not at the time. But we mostly studied adenosine triphosphate, trying to model those molecular motors and, uh, on the ATPase. And I have to admit, I actually hated it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd originally been planning to go into nuclear astro, but uh, I have to admit, I'm kind of glad I didn't because condensed, there's so many other areas of physics besides just those. And they're fascinating. I think they're everybody's yeah. first love, but there's so much more to, to look at. But I probably picked the wrong one. Yeah. Well, like I had originally gone to uh, engineering mm -hmm. and same kind of thing, which is like I admire engineers from afar. And I love the idea of engineering, but to actually sit there and calculate load strengths and dynamics, static pressures on various things. And I could sort of see this future of myself as a uh, someone who's going to work on uh, like air conditioning, you know, HVACs for buildings. I'm like, oh, OK, maybe I'm going to go into computers instead, which ended up being a lot more rewarding. So, uh, you know, my background is in computer science. Uh, and yet both of us ended up in this kind of astronomy future space exploration explaining game, which is quite funny. 
I've decided to go with calling it science communicating. It, it seems to make more sense. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I think science so commu- sure communicating is a much tighter so way than what I just described. Yeah, exactly. But it's about the only thing I can think to call it is because, I mean, it's obviously a pretty niche area, but uh, it's because you try to spread out over so many different things, you know, and, and, you know, you're not doing active research. You're pretty much teaching, and that's more fun than teaching for the a lecture hall, I think, so. Yeah, it's a it's a tough business to get into. I mean, a lot of people are competing for not a lot of jobs. So, uh, I kind of like the fact that I'm able to to do this separate career from from having to like try to you know go and get my PhD and go and actually work at some research institution and then publish papers and stuff. So yeah, no, absolutely. It just shows you right. Like if you are interested in this stuff and you want to get involved, you don't necessarily have to go and get a career and and go all the way through. You can leave halfway through your PhD and and uh, you know go join the army for for a while. <laughs> I was thinking some of the people I know, and, and you know, even in many other fields too, some of the people I know who are most expert on things have nothing beyond a high school diploma. They just have that passion for the topic. Yeah. The formal education certainly helps though to, to you know, that, that you get that corrective influence of making sure you're not going off on false trails and yeah. get core stuff in there fast and, and clear so you're not getting confused. So, I mean, I think that's the background. People know who we are. Um, I think the fun part is that we're just going to get into it. We're going to talk about the topics that you want us to talk about. SpaceX, the future, uh, the state of technology, the, you know, whatever existential cosmic dread you want to get into. Uh, the, you know, the which is going to kill us first, the AIs or the bioweapons. Uh, just start hitting us with the kinds of topics that you want to talk about, and we would love to do it. And one that sort of came up early on, uh, I know from from someone, was it Andrew, uh, was talking about the, the BFR timeline. You know, what do you think about where we at along the, the timeline with SpaceX just starting, you know, from so the Falcon here. Heavy launch to the Dyson Sphere, where are we along that timeline? Oh, I think, you know, I, I will reevaluate that in about five or six years after the rocket's actually seen some surface time. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing to finally, because, you know, we've all grown up kind of waiting for that next thing after Apollo. And it always seems like it's just 10 more years, just 10 more years. Now it actually feels like it really is just 10 more years. As to four-scale stuff like Dyson spheres, that's that's still centuries away. What? But it is centuries, I think, not not you know millions of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I mean that's I was being a little uh, you know overly dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, where we stand right now, right, is that Elon Musk has said that the the BFR, the BFS, the spaceship portion, is going to start doing hop tests next year, and that it's going to go orbital by 2020, and that they're still hoping to do the first launches to mars by 2022 so elon musk is a tricky figure in that uh <laughs> well he makes a lot of very strong predictions uh, i think yeah. of him as a bit of Edison or tesla figure and but the thing is well you know he tends to be right a lot of times too i'm not willing to say that come 2022 2022 there won't be some launch uh but at the same time I, I think that's probably being on the optimistic side. And, and he freely admits that he's on the optimistic side. Yeah. He should, you know. Um, but I think, you know, 2030 is actually looking, you know, much more realistic right now. And, you know, I'm patient. I've waited through every administration down here in the U.S. has, has proclaimed when we're going back to the moon or when we're going to malls. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's never quite happened. And uh, But I'm thinking maybe now it will. And that would be very awesome to get to live to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So uh, here's a question that came from Martin Common, which is, Isaac, how much time do you spend on writing and producing your weekly videos and podcasts? Oh, these days, you know, it used to be a hobby, and I still tend to think of it as a hobby, but I mean, I guess these days it's pretty much my normal work day. Um, Loosely speaking, very loosely speaking, probably about one hour of production time from script to production per minute of video. So a 30-minute video is taking probably 30 hours of work. Sometimes more, sometimes less. I, I walk at home on these things, so it's you know stop and play a video game for five minutes to clear my head type things. It's you know, yeah, makes keeping track of time kind of tricky. Um, it keeps me very busy, but uh, you know you can do shorter and simpler a lot faster. It's all about what your style is, yeah. you know. It's... Yeah. So like like just the writing, just the script part. 
what is your kind of, you know, how long does that part? Because I've actually, you know, we actually wrote together, worked on a couple mm -hmm. of scripts. And it's funny to sort of see the way we both attack it and the way it sort of, you write very quickly. I was, I was quite impressed to write with you and to see how quickly your material came together. I tend to write thought streams. So sometimes I would just sit down. Actually, normally I just sit down with the topic and maybe a couple of notes on points I wanted to remember and then just start typing till I'm done. Sometimes that's three or four hours. Sometimes that's four or five hours. And sometimes we're on draft 10 or 11, you know, H1 just keeps getting dumped. And typically speaking, almost any time I'm not happy with a script and I don't feel it could be just edited a little bit, I just toss it out and start from fresh. So I've had episodes that have taken weeks to write and others that have been yeah. banned that afternoon, you know. And So what's the topic that you've got that you started is sitting there on your drive and you just can't seem to finish it, but you really wish you could finish it, but it's just- Jobs of the future. Jobs of the future? <laughs> jobs of the future. We yeah. have a script on our Google Drive. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I wrote it, but I wasn't happy with it. And um, I keep meaning to revisit that because we get asked about that. That was actually a poll winning. We often ask people to do a poll and see what they want to see. And I think that came in at number two um, on one of them. And I've written it three or four times, and I've, I've not even touched it in at least a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a really hard one. It's a really hard topic uh, to do. So mine is a militarization of, sp of space. So after Trump did his, uh, did his, you know, we need a space force speech, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, what is a space force? Like, what would that actually be? And I have Robots been grinding away on that video, you know, for probably two months Gosh. now. Because that's such a hard topic. It's such um, a hard topic because there's sort of like already so much militarization of space already. But then you're trying to use your imagination to figure out sort of what would come next. Yeah, it's rough. Um, but it's but it's. I've, actually, I've done space warfare topics, but I always put them pretty far ahead in time. You know. Yeah. And well, so like I wasn't talking about. And I actually was going to link to what you had done. And Kyle Hill did a great video about space warfare, and and Joe Hansen from It's Okay to Be Smart, and so I had had linked to those for like the, the physics of space warfare, but I want to talk about just like what sort of like, how do we go from what we have today to what comes next? Right. You know, if, if you're, if the U S has been tasked with having a space force, which it has, right. Well, we got the, we got the, U, I can't remember what it's called uh, strategic space, uh, strategic space command. Yeah. Space. They, were, they, were, they had to develop a space core was the mm -hmm. requirement uh, sometime this year out of the Air Force and like what would that look like what would these people do so anyway this is tough and uh and it's a, it's a tough one to find a new future topic on that one that would be a bit yeah much. yeah so that's that's what works for me um David Chipman wants to know what's your day job oh uh well actually these days I think it's the channel uh <laughs> I am <laughs> I sit on the board of elections of Ashbeville County here in Ohio uh, we take our elections very seriously too so um I actually have a staff too, and they don't see me too often. Um, it's it's a little bit more like being on a school board where there's a director, and, and you know yeah. that actually handles most of the day to day things. Um, and uh, obviously, again in Ohio, especially in even years, we have a primary coming up in about two weeks here. Um, you know, and if you're in the United States, don't forget those. Get yourself registered to vote now and go vote. Although, yeah, you know what? Let's just take the rest of this episode and we'll just talk about voting and elections <laughs> and how that all works. Um, but uh right. um but yeah i mean that's basically the you know it's it's something you have to go to a lot of conferences for and uh, again ohio and and I, i'm not even being uh not exaggerating too much here i like to think ohio has probably the best electoral system in the in terms of how it's operated as opposed to structurally yeah and probably the entire world just because when you're a purple state in the united states everybody is watching you um constantly and they, you know, there are so many rules you have to follow that that can seem to a lot of people kind of pointless or over the top. But at some point, there was a lawsuit because people want to make sure it was very clean. So it's you know totally transparent, totally making sure people are confident that everything is fair, and it's harder than it sounds like. But um, Roman Gabriel wants to know: Are you going to have any plans to add live shows to your channel like this, like what we're doing Actually, right now? This is kind of a trial for that. Yeah, uh, I've, I mean, I've done a couple other live interviews. Well, I, the one with Joe wasn't actually live, but um, it is kind of I, I've meant to do some of a monthly Q and A and wrap up. Um, 
it's been something that's been on the plan, you know, on the drawing board for a while and been requested, but I'm I I'm still not too sure how to do it. And I haven't wanted to try just yet. So well, any time you need a hand, just let me know. I I've you know I've got so much experience in running live shows now. I'm I'm sure we can get you up and running as you know, no problem. Be careful what you volunteer for. I would definitely take you done, up. Done, done. <laughs> let's get let's make it happen. Next week you host the party. <laughs> Can't do next week, but I think right, soon after right. that. Um. um so upcycle electronics is what's the world going to be like after Elon Musk? Is he a figurative of Julius Caesar or Charlemagne? What do you think about sort of, you know, Musk's place in the annals of history? Where will he come down? Edison. That's the closest analogy I can yeah? think of. Uh, and Edison, Tesla kind of figure. Because, um, again, he's not he's not a Newton or Einstein or Hawking type figure. And he's not, I wouldn't say he's a Caesar or Charlemagne either. Um, he's a... You know, he's very science knowledgeable. He's very passionate about what he does. He's strangely controversial. I, people seem to either really love him or really dislike him. I, I don't know why. To me, it just seems like a, a very upstanding guy that I, I wish well on his projects, but they're not always perfect. Um, you know, I wish we had more people like him. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that, I mean, if if I had to say one thing I'd hope he would become is, um, you know, is a role model for other people to do what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that, that what he has a real technique for doing is this idea of coming back and thinking about things from first principles. Right. So he says to himself, what could the laws of physics permit a rocket to do? What should the laws of physics allow a drill? How quickly should a drill be able to go through underground? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what is the theoretical charge capacity of a battery? And then, and then says, why aren't the things that we have not kind of permitting that, right? And then re-engineering until you get as close to the laws of physics as you should be able to do. And I think that's the, um, that's the real uh, thing that he's brought to the table that I'm hoping a lot of other people are going to take, you know, from his inspiration, right? Is, is that. He's very good at locating what the key question is that, you know, what's, yeah. what's the thing that's holding us back on this and then saying we need to deal with this and, you know, often isn't him obviously solving it in most cases, but, uh, people all people are saying wow we need to you know maybe we can redo this idea and you know even if it doesn't work out in some ways it's it's good to try and say you know uh, i can't know if it's nine out of ten failures or 99 you know, yeah but one is worth it you yeah. know one is always worth it and uh you know if we have more people doing this more people thinking this way i'll be too because honestly the ward in this decade has been very depressed you know as a cultural so it's nice to see people starting to find things to feel passionate about. We can use more stuff like that. And I think that's exactly, I think you <clears> hit the nail right on the head, right? Which is that, that, that idea of feeling passionate about the changes, being excited about the kinds of things that are happening. He, he has so much motivation and goodwill from a lot of people out there to just say, hey, we're excited about the possibilities that are coming and the things that have already happened. And they're willing to sort of accept the fact that say the falcon heavy arrives six seven years later than originally anticipated so um yeah with him at least it's you know we said three years it's going to turn out to be five not we said three we're now saying 20 more years from now with it delayed you know and that happens so much in the aerospace industry that especially with the way the public's concerned um <clears throat> you know nobody's twirling their thumbs in these fields no one has yeah. been for the last 34 years but when all you're hearing is, is you know, the excerpts of it going on in the news, it's hard to, and same thing with something like Fusion, it's hard to keep up your enthusiasm. Yeah. People are chipping away at the wall. They sometimes find the wall is a little bit thicker or harder than planned, but it's not like somebody just stopped and took a lunch break. It's, it's going. We're making progress. Yeah. But it's nice sometimes to actually see that progress. Yeah, and see a rocket land. All right, so here's a that shot every time i see that I... <laughs> um so uh raiden sharaj wants to know your favorite space-based website and magazine universe today well of course universe today no but... it really is actually a tie between you and uh paul ghost over at centauri dreams i, I love centauri dreams like i've had paul uh on my over on the weekly space hangout he was fantastic he is always looking for those sort of next level, next generation ideas for essentially sending probes to other 
star systems and that's sort of so he's cherry picking every little cool idea that comes along totally agree um he is a great resource um and I, you know i i should name some others i'm just having problems thinking of too many i, I think too highly of um honestly it, it was uh, universe day and centauri dreams i've been getting my news for for like Ever since I got out of grad school and uh, had to use it only on the internet. Well, I'll tell you who's kicking my butt then is um, space. Uh, NASA spaceflight is probably my favorite space uh, launch website. They're great. Um, I really I like uh, Ethan Siegel from Starts with a Bang. I've had him. Uh, I've had a chance to interview him a few times, and he does a really good job of taking the really complex cosmology and and turning it into something that's very simple that you can understand. And of course, Paul I know you. Good at that too. Yeah, yeah, and I know you've worked with uh, Paul Metzler. He's great. Uh, there's a there's a lot of really great communicators. I think one of my favorite parts of what I get a chance to do is showcase as many people as I can. So you know, it's great to be able to redirect everyone's attention to the other oh, people that are doing great jobs out there. I remember when I first got in, I was worried everyone was going to be a prima donna. And I think you and Joe Scott were the first to ever actually approached me to work on something. And I was like, oh, well, that's safe. I've known Joe. You know, we started at the same time. And, well, I've been reading Fraser's stuff for years. That's a safe area. And uh, everybody I've worked with, though, has been surprisingly friendly, relaxed. You know, it's, it's a very nice community. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm not sure why I'm always so surprised there aren't any prima donnas. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all yeah. really nice people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um Let's see. So let's get some questions. Tesla Ranger says that your roeticism is nearly unnoticeable. Is that the technical term for your speech impediment? Roticism? Um, yes, they have picked, of course, picked a term that you can't pronounce if you have it. Oh, that's um, mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, think, well, I think that's why so people usually assume it's a list, but the eroticism has been improving. I've been getting speech therapy for eight or nine months now, I think. And, uh, Still got a ways to go. It's not natural yet, but I can usually pronounce the words while I'm actually concentrating on pronouncing them. But uh, it's not natural yet. You so. did. You did actually just before we started. You you did one and you sort of showed. I was probably was it. Uh, it will probably take another year. And uh, when I say year, it's it's you know versus as opposed year, to right? yeah, yeah the way you would normally pronounce year. So that's 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 awesome, man. It's I mean again, I think what a testimony to, like I think for you it must have been tough when you first started doing your your podcasts with the speech impediment that you have to to feel like you're getting judged all the time and you definitely you know people are you know awful in the comments but i also think people just they don't mind at all they love it it's it's who you are so i it think it takes a while to get used to for some people others though i mean for me it was a, a choice to change it was initially with the show and I, I never even meant for there to be a show but i thought if this gets bigger i will go ahead and get somebody to narrate them and every time i floated the idea of being a narrator once the audience was big enough i could get a volunteer i got rejected by the audience i said if i'm going to keep doing this the impediment's got to get uh, toned back a little bit i never really thought you know i never even noticed it growing up i mean i knew i had one but if i got any feedback from people at all was either oh, could you slow down a bit or oh i like that it's a nice voice so of course, once you get on the internet, people are very friendly at times. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but to be honest, I don't think I got hit with it nearly as hard as I've seen yeah. in comment sections on over at SFIA and over here at Universe Day, too, are usually a lot friendlier than what you see on a, a lot of other channels. So. Well, you can't have a garden without a gardener. So, yeah. And fortunately, we don't get nearly as many weeds. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Maple Flavor asked a question, what do we think about an upscale project breakthrough Starshot, effectively building a railway to other star systems? So, uh, I love this idea. Oh, me too, me too. So <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll set some background and then I'd love you to sort of think about the future here. So the idea of the breakthrough Starshot is to use lasers, you zap tiny little nanoprobes and to give them you know, some significant percentage of the speed of light and they zap off and fly from, from world to world at potentially 20% the speed of light. What do you think about sort of that idea as a way to feasibly explore other star systems? And what do you think about sort of what does the future of that look like if we can build infrastructure? I think, and I mean, we actually have a couple of videos on that. There's one that's interstellar laser highways. So I think it's just interstellar highways. Um, it's the idea that you just keep scaling it up. You know, the sun's got an output of what four times 10 to the 26 watts, a great assault on that. And uh, you need about 1.5 gigawatts per ton to accelerate that, uh, reflecting accelerate that at uh, 1G. And it's a lot of power to do that. But 
you know, there was a lot of power there. People say, why would you build a Dyson sphere? And I say, well, that would be one reason. <laughs> and theoretically, you could push megaton starships, not little nanogram things, yeah. up to, you know, with it, you know, as close to light speed as you really want to get. Uh, I don't think you really want to go over 80%, but you could, you know. And uh, in tandem, you could use that as what you launch them with, so you only have to carry your slowdown fuel, which, you know, knocks you up a good amount too. Um, but, you know, that's one of those things where I think that is definitely a pathway, especially if we don't manage to get a good fusion system going. Uh, the other thing, though, of course, is, is, you know, you've got reaction mass as propellants. You don't actually need that when you're using the photons for that, but you can beam energy out to a ship that's running on ion drive, for instance, and now you don't need the huge reactor. You just need that, you know, fuel, which you're going to be expending, and I guess what would be the uh, specific impulse or something like that? It should be about 10 times higher, I would think, uh, than what we're using now. That's a big difference, though. And someone mentioned this idea of the air-breathing ion engine, which, have you have you looked into this at all? I've heard of that one. Uh, I, the thing about, you know, with a lot of those is, is trying to get enough thrust out to break out of the gravity well when you've got all that air, too. Well, so the idea is is that you would use... Um... Uh, you'd use an ion engine so that it would be able to essentially have a source of fuel for station keeping in mm -hmm. the Earth's atmosphere. So you could have it orbiting the Earth, you could be sucking in particles of air, you would then be accelerating them out the back using solar power, and so you'd be able to station keep without having to use any fuel. Oh, yeah. And That's one of the ones I like. I know the Russians play around with the ion thrusters a lot more. The other one, of course, is, uh, oh, what's it? I can't remember what's called at the moment. Electrodynamic tethering. The one from Tethers Unlimited. I like that one a lot, you know, where you just have solar panels uh, doing the actual thrust there. But at the same time, that's a lot of space junk. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a 2,000 mile long cable floating through the vacuum of space to run into. Um, so I, I think uh, shooting the energy up to an ion thrust or something that could actually regather some of the, uh, from some of the uh, air would be a nicer way. But I think at the same time that you could start, so you know, you got that much space infrastructure, you start sourcing your uh, station keeping uh, reaction mass off of, say, xenon from the moon, um, might be a better choice there. But you know, but anything even, you know, use that idea so. of being able to in situ, right? You could be flying between <laughs> star systems, you could be scooping up particles, you could be zapping your spacecraft with lasers, you could be using that as electricity to then. Use that as an accelerant to fire out your ion engines. So, I mean, that's the Busoed ramjet idea, and of course, that one doesn't quite work out. Though it's a great way to slow a ship down without fuel. Um. <laughs> right. Well, you can't necessarily suck in enough hydrogen to run a fusion engine, but you uh -huh. maybe could run an ion engine. Yeah, because you're getting your power from somewhere else. Yeah, because you and uh, you get a maximum speed at some point in time off that, where you're you're absorbing so much momentum that speeding out what the laser can do of it. But that's still pretty high speed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, if you've got a system where, where you actually do get a sort of ramjet, where it's only the slowdown phase, you push the ship up, at, you know, with lasers from home, and then it slows down by bringing in that, that material as it goes. And now all of a sudden you don't need to worry about the rocket equation so much, which is, you know, really, a, a, you know, the death sentence for a lot of basic rocket concepts. You just can't get that, that really good ideal space opera science fiction ship with the rocket equation strangling you at every step yeah uh, great question from joe ivo isaac why do you think the civilizations at the end of time episodes were so popular i think it was probably because they said civilizations at the end of time <laughs> and, uh, it just like uh, sounds like it's out of some star trek episode it, I, it, it's that I never thought those episodes would do well at all. The first one was made kind of as a summary for like six or seven other videos. And I think I even start off by saying you need to watch all these other episodes first. And I, it was really more of a completeness thing. I thought those would be my worst performing ones. Um, but they, they turn out to be the most popular. Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of us talking about that end game, how far off it is, is always something that kind of keeps the mind going. You know, obviously we know we've got so much time left. You know, a billion years is an eternity to a civilization's been for four thousand, uh, and so when you start talking about a billion, 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 it, it just starts getting to the point where it's kind of arbitrary. But you start thinking about those time scales, and they're, they're huge. And say, how do you stave off the end of eternity, basically? Yeah, and it, it's a fascinating idea, but. Uh, I was always very surprised by how well they performed. I assume it's just the title. 
clickbait. I mean, the heat death, things like that. I mean, we, it's funny to think we have these existential thoughts about what the future holds for us about, you know, we feel sad and scared about the end of the earth in say a billion years when the solar heating gets to the point that all the oceans evaporate and then whatever six billion years after that when the sun expands as a red giant and we we think about the you know the time when all the black holes have lost all their hawking radiation and and yet we you know don't so it's weird to feel those that kind of fear. Like people are always so concerned when they hear that Andromeda is going to be crashing into the Milky Way. Yeah, that's that's not too much for so on, but it does seem to bother a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really fascinated about what that is. What what's that coming from? Why are people so so unnerved by these long term inevitabilities? Essentially, it while the communities fought for the Andromeda one, because I think people do hype up, you know, the, the fear factor on Andromeda. You know, we've been eating galaxies for yeah, yeah. all billion years. Yeah. Um, and of course, with Andromeda, there will be a lot of damage when you have a galactic merger like that. But it's it's planetary ejection and and that kind of stuff, and it's stuff you can plan around and prepare for. Uh, if you're still around in three billion years, I I assume you either got much better technology. Or you really upscale the amount you have, and you don't really need to use science to move stars around, so as you don't mind engaging in a lot of brute force. <laughs> so you know, when you have your your episodes and you're sort of looking far into the future, and even thinking about things like you know when we go and we build a Dyson sphere, or when we build you know some kind of megastructure and stuff, I think in people's minds there's this like physical bodies, you know we're doing this still with our existing meat bodies. But I think that's the part that is the hardest to sort of really predict is what does the future hold when the technology is rising so quickly for us to be kind of, you know, beep boot pressing computer buttons and, and pushing levers and flying dogfighting our spaceships. It doesn't feel like any of that is realistic. That is one of the, and I mean, in the episodes, we do mention a lot of times that realistically, you probably wouldn't be too much biological at that point. But we do try to focus on, you know, if you've got one new tech, focus on that new tech from a kind of a modern perspective, just to make it easier to fit into your worldview. But at the same time, I don't think that I'd be surprised. I mean, maybe a million or a billion years from now, there wouldn't be anything that was human left over. But, you know, the singularity is near, as as Kurzweil says, but... Um, I don't think you're not going to have people after that. You might have lots of people who are cyborged up um, while still people. But I think you'd have a lot of people like the Amish who uh, just decide to stick around. And, you know, you do not need some of these things to do spaceflight. It might be easier, but you don't have to. So you could have people go out and colonize the stars who were completely modern normal. And I don't think there's any reason to think that those people would cease to exist just because they hadn't embraced some of that higher technology. Um, I don't think that you're going to have a, a single kind of state for humanity as we have now with Homo sapiens, kind of a very divorced spectrum that wouldn't even count as speciesization just because, you know, how do you qualify someone as part of the species when they are not even biological in the least bit? They're just an uploaded mind. Um, but then you have to ask, which is more important, that psychology or that physiology? And um, it's just, it's going to be a wide spectrum. As I say, if, you, if there are no aliens, just wait a million years and there will be. You know? yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. across some planet where it's evolved four legs or, you know, uh, has the weird forehead of the week from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be like thrilling headgear. Um, all right, let's 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 have it out. Uh, let's have the Fermi Paradox argument. <laughs> what, uh, you know, and of course, for anyone who doesn't know what the Fermi Paradox is, this is the idea that... You know, the universe is big and old, and there's been plenty of time for aliens to show up, that there's nothing permitting the travel between star systems. So, you know, it should be possible within, say, 10 million years for a civilization on any part of the galaxy to have colonized the entire galaxy and left some kind of uh, record that it was there. Where are all the aliens? Uh, that's the, the was with the Fermi paradox. The problem is there are no good solutions. Um, that's why it's kind of paradoxical. People say, "Well, it's not really a paradox." Nobody expects it to be a genuine paradox. Of course, I tend to develop the idea that it almost has to be the the rare earth or yeah. rare intelligence ones, just because they're not that good at theories. They're just the only ones that don't have big holes in them. Yeah, uh, we don't really know how common life is yet. 
to emerge, let alone to develop down the pathway to intelligence, which people tend to think of as inevitable, but probably is not. And that just seems, we don't know the probabilities, but at least when we don't know them, we can say there could be one in a trillion, you know? Whereas with a lot of these other things, it's it's not that the basic reasoning is bad. It's when you start picking them apart, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I can't really see um, alien civilizations emerging that just sat on their homeworld for millions of years, mm-hmm. keeping quiet. Well, Some even might. if one wants to, the others yeah, wouldn't. One. And if one does, you know, it, it's the exclusivity thing. 99% of people can want to do one thing. If that 1% does something that triggers the Fermi paradox, you know, they, they decide to broadcast, it's over, just like that. But at the same time, things like expanding don't seem like almost everyone wouldn't do it. It seems the other way around. Everyone wants to do this. And so there has to be a really good reason why they're not yeah. doing it. And yet the science says, well, it's something very hard now. It doesn't appear to be in any way physically impossible. Mm-hmm. And so there are 30,000 asteroids in the solar system right now that came from other star systems. So that high they've come out. (laughs) Theoretically. They haven't been discovered, but theoretically, right? So if asteroids Mm -hmm. can do it, if stupid asteroids can make the journey, then robots can make the journey. Yeah. And and people should be able to, too. And of course, what do we mean by people? What do we mean by robots? That Von Neumann chicken thing where you send everybody's brain digitally uploaded onto one tiny little spaceship and you send it out there. It arrives, eats everything up, and turns it into people yeah. you know, or civilizations. And in that respect, I say, well, maybe everybody decides they want to live in a virtual utopia. They say, okay, I could see that. This space is much more boring than, than, than whatever virtual utopia you've made. But to get to that point, to be able to do that, you have to have the same technology just to run a little interface where the people are talking to you in that virtual reality that could easily run a robot that could do all those tasks in space colonization. So, yes, you might decide to stay home, but it only takes one person to quickly put together one little space probe yeah. that can run off and colonize the whole galaxy on its own. Yeah. Uh, yeah so. Well, and, and not only that, I mean, not just colonize one galaxy, colonize the entire Hubble volume of space. Yeah. Right. And that's the other thing. There's plenty of space between the stars, um, and uh, there's no barrier you know, between galaxies. There are stars out there in between that people can hop onto as midpoints. Uh, if if a couple million year journey is something you can't sustain, you just colonize the other stars along the way. Um, and as long as your ships can go faster than whatever the expansion is there locally, you're good. Um, that's at least four or five billion light years. So, so where do you fall then? Do you fall on the rare Earth hypothesis um, or do you fall on the great filter hypothesis? I, I try not to have a specific set position on it just because I, even with just the rare ones, I try to include the other ones too. But I, I tend to be of the opinion that life is probably less common than we think. There are a lot more filters along the way. And then intelligence doesn't really go down this pathway to technology too often. I, I you know, There's nothing to really back that assertion yep. up other than it's easier for me to see it being all three as one in a thousand probabilities than any one of those being specifically one in a trillion or something. Yeah. I mean, I always just feel like even if it popped up anywhere in our Hubble sphere, Mm -hmm. it could colonize the entire thing like that, that that is the level of rarity that we're looking at, that that life is so rare in the universe that that aliens will never see other versions of themselves. But then you think about these ideas of like the universe being infinite and then you get. We just know how big the observable portion is. So. Right, right. But if the universe itself is actually infinite, then yep. there's actually going to be an infinite number of versions of us having this conversation it's... wondering where all the aliens are, right? Uh, we, even we look at, uh, I mean, we can save, I, I, whenever I try to look at a, a whole number on this, about the best I can do today is there's no intelligent civilizations within a billion light years of us. Just because after that, there's enough time lag that it starts being realistic that you could have had once pop up we wouldn't have seen yet. Um, but... Um, you know, that's still only a tiny little corner of the observable universe, let alone was the actual like universe. The 77 light years, something like that, that you have to go before you'd automatically soak it in repeats. But, you know, if it is that big, um, you know, then everything happens. Big enough, big enough number, even the infinitely improbable happens. Yeah. And uh, you get repeats and repeats. Same with the um, mini worlds there. Uh, and, you know, just, we actually explored that one time. You get weird ones where, 
things that seem to be impossible are happening over and over again because even though it's just coincidence that a gourd uh, or a sandwich appeared on your desk when you hit your light switch, it happened in your universe so many times over and over again when people checked it out that you assume there's a physical principle there. <laughs> They're just not spotting. Just because in one universe, that happened. You know? Yeah. And to them, that magical thing is is for real. Um, so let's get some more questions, comments, give us some topics. Um, problem is that everybody is, uh, okay. So Neil Upfellow says, uh, Isaac, ancestor simulation, any opinion? So what do you think? Uh, one in three chance. <laughs> but, uh, well, that, that's one of those ones where uh, my usual thing is don't, uh, don't worry about whether or not we are actually in one of these things. Cause it doesn't really make a difference, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're a simulation or not. Um, but, uh, the way we work it out right now, it's a one in three probability just because we only have three plausible states. Either it's impossible because civilizations destroy themselves or it can't be done, which I, I really buy into, or <laughs> it's possible, but <laughs> it's possible, but people just don't do it, which I actually consider the most likely premise. That's just very uncommon. Um, or the third one is that it is possible and there are millions of the, the fake ones for every one real one. And so you almost certainly, if that's the case, one of those. Uh, so I would say one in three because we use the principle of indifference to come up with that number, but I'd say it's probably more like 50-50. Uh, 50-50 living in a simulation. Yeah. And yet I would say that's just assuming each option is equally likely. I don't think it is, though, because there's almost no reason why you would ever uh, – I actually have an episode coming up discussing this, so I probably shouldn't go into it too much, but there's almost no occasion where you would ever actually want to simulate someone to full emulation. Um, you know, I don't need for my uh, my house computer to really be sentient. I just need to be able to carry on a conversation, and that's a lot of processing power, and a lot yeah. of wasted heat. You know, uh, Damien Reloader wants to know why I pronounce all the vowels as the letter O. It's because I'm Canadian, obviously. That's how <laughs> that's how we do this. I see somebody else get hit with that foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Aaron Blair wants to know, uh, Isaac, why are we not sending more probes to Europa? Because you have to drill down the ice to find all the cool stuff. Uh, you know, we can't just send a simple probe to orbit. We have to land on a thing. And how thick is the – is it 10 kilometers? 100 simple? kilometers. That's a lot of drilling. That's a lot uh, of that's, drilling, yeah. <laughs> we, that's one of those things where – that would be probably our first big manned mission, I would think, just because you want to set up a camp there and you'll be drilling for samples for years. I don't think that's a good one for a robot, at least not a modern robot. So I did an episode just of – maybe a month and a half ago on this mm-hmm. and they've actually got drills in um they're running in in greenland which actually have a heated point they spool out wire from inside of them and they can move through the ice in earth's gravity in about um oh like 10 centimeters an hour i think so it's pretty fast. And they calculated that they'd be able to make it through there. Someone else is saying 40 kilometers, somewhere between 10 and a hundred kilometers is the thickness mm-hmm. of the ice that they, you know, depending on the size of the probe, they could get down into the ice between one to two years of, of drilling. If they that had, one, I think would be very worth it. But then once you're down there, you start to take another probe that can actually go around inside there hunting yeah. for stuff. Yeah, and no. I, I, I wonder what the life would because you, you assume they'd probably have to have some kind of light on it because I don't think passive sensors would work too well. They are would the creatures run away from it or try to eat it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It all, all depends a on movie. what uh, you know the European space whales. I'm uh, trying to remember what, it, what it, what's called. It's some movie in the last decade or so where they, they it's it's kind of a sci-fi horror one. The European report. By... Oh, that's the yeah, one. yeah. 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 But uh, I, I wouldn't say that was very hard science, but it was fun to watch. So. Have you been watching The Expanse this year? I have. It did was you actually see this week's month, yeah. episode? I just did, yeah. With, and uh, That was amazing. I've never seen – I actually sort of sent a tweet to the writers of The Expanse. I sent a tweet to James S.A. Corey, the, you know, the two people. Apples, yeah. Yeah. Um, saying how great, the, how thrilling – a space battle proper inertia with an open toolbox is inside your spaceship and and how I that, ever shown that before. I've never uh, I've never seen that before I've never seen anything like that and it was as scary and thrilling as any you know action yeah. movie and yet I knew that it was because of the science making it so legit so yeah. uh, don't worry we're not going to spoil it but it is oh, a same. 
I would say that that was the finest episode, in my opinion, of The Expanse so far was the one that happened last week. It was a really nice one. So good. I, I don't think I've, yeah, I don't think anyone's done that. And you know, we were talking about it the other day is you don't have spacesuits on these ships. It's not for you're not trying to get used to low gravity when you live in space. You're trying to get used to varying gravity. You don't experience yeah. that. Oh, I can only live in a, a quarter of a G. No, no, these people aren't adapted for zero gravity. They're adapted for now the gravity is zero. Now it's four in the other direction. Now it's five in the other direction. And because uh, you have to be able to, to cope in that environment in anything that's not padded down. Yeah. You might even have spacesuits that have airbags. But in those kind of accelerations, you know, a knife is bad. But I mean, you know, can you imagine some of those tools coming? Out? Well, that was first time I've ever seen that. And so yeah. you know, it was yeah. an amazing point to have. Yeah. You know? And then the, and also the, the racing ship and sort of the way the seats could turn around depending on the yeah. forces that they were experiencing and the methods they dealt with to deal with the high Gs. I mean, the, the people ask me how realistic it is. And the bottom line is not realistic at all because of that fusion drive, right? Like yes, that's, that's the magic. The, that's the one. And they don't, I mean, none of the ships are going too fast with something like fusion to technically allow. It's just, uh, it, you, how long can you accelerate at one G? And again, it, you know, after a week, you're going uh, half, what, two, two percent of light speed. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. you're usually at your destination, pretty soon. I think we would do one week to Saturn. I actually did a table one of these ways to make it easier for people to do that. But I can't remember what episode that was. Um, you just can't. You don't thrust like that, and it's it's a really wasteful way to use fuel anyway. Because you're born in fuel right up to the moment you start born in the other direction. Born it faster and coast all the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so people want uh, people looking forward to Frank Herbert's Dune made by. Denis Villeneuve. I don't know if you've heard that's happening. I've not heard anything about that coming. Yeah. These things. I heard somebody saying uh, Ian M. Banks' cultural series was getting a yes. TV show. Yeah, and the Foundation that, just, books are getting picked up by Amazon. That is awesome. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I would love to see another remake of Dune. I, I, I'm a big fan of the original movie by Lynch, uh, and I would love to have seen the one by Jodowski. Yes, uh, but I actually thought the for the miniseries they did around 2000, the first one was kind of weak just because they didn't have the budget for it. But the Children of Dune one was actually very well done. Yeah, um, and I would love to have seen some more for those because um, I mean, it is it is such a good basic concept there. You can't go on there, but. I'd love to see the foundation actually as a TV show. Yeah. It could never be done as a proper movie, but no. Well, I think the thing that's been great, and you know, the expanse is sort of showing this. If you take a, an existing property that, that's like a you know, like a proper sci-fi book where someone has thought through the, um, like has thought through the plot points, has figured out the characters, knows so the whole thing is going to come together. So it's not episodic. It is this. They're telling this story over multiple seasons. Then turning a book into six episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes of a TV show is so much more satisfying. And we saw yeah, that with, with Game of Thrones. It's so much more satisfying than, huh. than trying to turn it into a short little movie. I mean, the poor people who love the gunslinger and then they got mm -hmm. their gunslinger movie. Yeah, that should that? be a you know a season of a TV show. So, so I'm really looking forward to with the success of the Expanse and Game of Thrones and all this kind of stuff. I'm really looking forward to people picking up these these great books and turning them into modern multiple episode TV shows with a beginning, a middle, and an end. One big advantage we have now is in in the old days you had you know three or four outlets or maybe a dozen even during the cable age. And no matter how you cut it, a science fiction show always costs more money to produce because you got to pay the actors the same and then you have the special effects. And when you're competing for high ratings, you're going for a niche market that costs more. And it's never that sci-fi wasn't popular. It was just more expensive for less produce. Now, though, we can do these mid-range things cost-wise. Uh, and people watch TV, any show, whenever they want to. And that opens that up because you're not competing against whoever else is in that slot. And I think that we're not just seeing that in sci-fi and fantasy, but a lot of other genres, it's really expanding. You know, I wish it would expand more on the, the science and history side of things. You think of that, some of the TV channels that actually specialize in that, they don't seem to produce very good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not going to make fun of Sharknado. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen Sharknado. So. I, I haven't because I'm worried it won't be as good as I hear it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what so Trustin Pate is asking? What do you think of I guess Star Trek Discovery? Have you been watching that? 
I've watched the first three or four episodes. I have this rule about shows, though, is I always like to watch the pilot to make sure it's, if it's something I want to see. But then I wait till the whole season's complete and then wow. being watch it some some weekend. Uh, usually after I hear whether it's renewed or not, too, because that way I know I'm, I'm not getting my expectations up for that cliffhanger. But I did that with uh, Dark Matter, for instance, and I, it's, it's it's just nice to binge watch stuff. I, Sundays are my, my sci-fi binge watching day, usually Doctor Who the last couple of weeks. Um, old classic Doctor Who, though, you know, the Peter Davison, Tom Baker days, which, you know, you don't really want to actually watch those. You kind of want to listen to them and look at the screen notes watching because the visual quality is not that great. <laughs> It's like I walk around in tinfoil for <laughs> some some horror movie like uh, Forbidden Planet uh, from the fifties. That movie still is is great to watch. You know, even now. Uh, Dave, you stood still. Yeah, is one of my the original. Not the, yeah, not the original. yeah. I was mentioning last week. I was telling everybody that uh, two thousand and one just freaked me out. That is a really good one, and I think it was actually it was so good it actually made the first Star Trek film bad because I think they tried to make those big cinematic. You know, like. 2001 yeah. the first 40 minutes where there's nobody talking yeah and so much of that first star trek film is nobody talking everyone stares stuff um and uh but yeah that that is still a great film great book too um and uh so it's 2010 actually i like the film and the book for that um i would i would love to have seen some more out of that though obviously we're not going to get more by the original writer i think at this point uh beyond 2001 um but i mean i would not mind seeing something like that redone but i'm not sure that's necessary you know uh, mm-hmm. i did like the new blade runner film for instance but the, the original so holds are fine there's no need to reboot a lot of these um and i think that maybe hollywood needs to stop rebooting stuff quite so often yeah well that's so- the thing every reboot is stealing precious life force from yeah. a new property right if you want your reboot then you don't get to have the expanse how many yeah. Star Trek movies, or how many Expanse seasons could you buy with a single Star Trek movie? You think about it. I, well, I don't want to knock Lost in Space. Or a Star Wars movie. Star, yeah, I'm not too happy. But well, I was very invested in the expanded universe for Star Wars, so I don't like seeing the entire history get rewritten. I, I did like the Abrams film. I'm, I haven't decided on the newest one yet whether or not I like it or not. Uh, <laughs> plot inconsistencies bug me. You know? Yeah. Um, I always try to shut my brain off about the physics part of it. Though. Otherwise, I, it is like yeah, the, you can't the, shut your brain. Off. Yeah, you. I will. I'm willing to forgive any amount of bad science, pretty much. As Sometimes it's actually easier for the ones that are really bad science because you're not even thinking about that. Like, yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> but the plot inconsistencies—that's the problem, yeah. right? That you know. Yeah. And you gotta stay whatever your magic science is for your given fictional setting. You gotta stick to it, otherwise you stop creating those inconsistencies. I think it's uh, Brandon Sanders' laws of magic that applies to science fiction too. And uh, but I mean, there's so many of these intellectual properties. I, I I did like the Battlestar Galactica reboot, but um, the one thing that was missing out of the original show was, oh, humanity's been wiped out. And these people are not very depressed, right? And in the reboot, they, they definitely are. And in fact, a little bit too much after a couple of seasons, it was getting kind of irritating. But so many of the other properties that have tried to do this since then are like, we got to be grimmer and darker than Battlestar Galactica was. And it doesn't fit for some of them. And, um, you know, Lost in Space, for instance, was a very happy, silly, you know, at times campy even, but, uh, you know, very happy family. The new one seems to be dysfunctional. So I'm not sure if I like it or not. <laughs> I've only watched, have you seen the new lost in space yeah i only the first few episodes yeah me too. It's done yeah uh, but I, I i'm starting to like i think the character i like most so far is the uh the younger to penny penny uh she seems to be having fun with the thing and that's that's to me lost in space is a very fun show so that's it's kind of what i was looking for with them there and but you know it, you reboot a franchise has to be different but i i feel like you know, don't don't lose track of the original feeling um, Maple Flavor says uh, Stargate number one. Uh, I 100% agree with you, man. If I could have one show get properly made, and I've watched these new Stargates, and they're not mm-hmm. great, um, but I would love. I love Stargate SG One. I loved uh, Stargate Universe, Atlantis, Stargate yeah. Atlantis. They were all terrific, and that is I think it's probably my favorite. Well, a yeah. close one with Babylon Five and DS Nine for the 90s, but of course it was later in after those. Um, I, I, you know, I, I did like Universe. I just felt that it was kind of weakly done. And actually, as I was just talking about there, they kind of made it a little bit darker and grimmer than I think it needed to be. I think you're wrong. I think you should go back and watch it again. I actually thought it was terrific. It was really good. Yeah. There was, 
there was a lot going on there and they didn't get enough time to really kind of dig no. into it but i thought universe was actually it got canceled way too soon it totally like, did, think yeah. about it, the first season i mean i see that with newer franchises but this is one that had an established what uh 15 seasons between atlantis and stargate yeah, sg1 yeah. and whereas like star trek you think of most star trek franchises other than the original the first season's awful <laughs> but they but it, the franchise had staying power because people knew it was going to get better and uh you know the best season of uh tng is like three and four uh universe never got that chance you know yeah and uh it was getting a lot better in season two i actually liked the fourth season but i i did it, it had its weaknesses uh, I'm. I would love to see more out of that franchise. I know they're working on stuff, but I hope they're not going to reboot it out of existence. So let's do a little bit of a spoiler alert here, and we've got about five more minutes. Um, so, what are some topics that you're working on? What are some topics that you are sort of sort of see happening in the next few months? Well, I think the the, the loose theme for the upcoming summer is going to be uh, post scarcity civilizations. And kind of both seeing episodes hmm. that are not too much on them, but rather what they can do, as well as some kind of focused on what actually are the problems these guys have to encounter, the unique problems of that civilization. Um, and that's kind of going to be the overarching theme for the summer. This upcoming one is, uh, well, I, I renamed it Alien Beacons to Interstellar Beacons. It was originally going to be Interstellar Beacons and Mega Telescopes, but I decided it had to be broken into two. There was just too much material. So we're taking a look at giant telescopes in two weeks. This week is uh, Interstellar Alien Beacons. And just kind of seeing how far away can you, you know, see these things. If they really want to invest in being heard, how far away can you pick it up with the kind of modern stuff we have now? And it's it's big, you know? Um and then I think we're going back to uh, space warfare for planetary invasions. And I think we decided we're going to do another one on interstellar arc ships. And uh, I know we're doing mind uploading for the new Dennis E. Taylor That's book. a tough one. Like I've got episodes that I did early on, topics I knocked out early on. And you want to redo them now. I want to redo them because I'm so much better at sort of writing. And Chad is such a better editor these days. And I feel like I've shut down that topic, but I feel like I want to just sort of like quietly replace an old concept with a new that, version. Um, I found that whenever I redid one, uh, either under a slight new title or a little bit more of expansion, nobody minded from the yeah. original audience. So I, I'm, I, I'm kind of waiting until my speech impediment is completely gone to do a complete reboot of any of the old episodes. Right now, I just pick one and say, I can do more on this. So we can break it into three episodes, look at it again. But Oh yeah, that's that's how it is. You you get into these things and you look at your work from two three years ago and, and you just want to redo it. Yeah, exactly. Do it better now. <laughs> so much happier with the work that we're putting out now. And I look back at the ones that we did that were four years old, right? And they were short and they didn't have a lot of graphics and 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 now it's just a much tighter operation. So I think uh, that good. I'm glad. Thank you for giving me permission to uh, to go back around <laughs> and, and take another crack at them. Uh, something I've been worried about for the last year is whether or not I should redo any old episodes. And I mean, there were so many times. I think somebody said, hey, you got to run out of topics. And I was like, I've got a queue that's like 10 years yeah, long. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So what have I got coming up? I, I've got, and these are just, I'm, I want to talk about uh, adaptive optics and interferometers, um, space suits, uh, space internet, um sort of starting off it's like starlink and then sort of seeing what that would move to the next like communication um look back at snowball earth uh space navigation systems using pulsars things like that yeah i got a lot of same thing i got a million topics and and find time for them all and you don't have time for them all yeah and to to, to do a and, good and job of like visuals on that was actually we we did the mega telescopes episode we ended up inserting some interferometry to talk about ligo a bit but I almost completely deleted it out of the uh, the episode because interferometry is such a hard one to show if you can't put the right visuals up for it. And uh, whereas telescopes, I mean optical telescopes, are much more intuitively simple. Yeah, and I hope you did a better job with that than I was planning. I haven't done it yet, so now I'm afraid. <laughs> now you frightened me. Uh, I mean, I'll probably just go to the east, you know, the European Southern Observatory and just bring as many pictures of their various interferometers as I, as I can. But you know, it's the future of interferometry, which would be awesome. So. It's such a big topic, though, that you, I mean, with telescope, I was thinking we were talking about the uh, over by you, the uh, Zenith, uh, large Zenith telescope first over there. So we were talking about that one. It's a fun idea. You could spend an hour just on something like that. Yeah. 
yeah. never really yeah. topics. We're talking about science. Well, where does the time go, Isaac? It's been uh, it's been an hour, and uh, you know, I know you've got some writing to do. You've got some maybe some TV shows to watch. So let's wrap this up. I want to thank everybody for joining us in the chat. Uh, it was great. Thanks to the moderators who jumped in and and stayed on top of things. Isaac, I'm so glad you uh, accepted the call to uh, oh, to adventure to come and hang out with us all this uh, this hour. It was a great time being on, Fraser. Thanks for having me. All right. I will shut this down. Thanks, everybody. So I'm going to put uh, something up next. Find Maybe find another guest next week. So uh, I will put up another event, and then I'll see if I can find uh, someone to come and, and hang out with me. And then, Isaac, when you're ready, let's get your live streams going over on your channel. I'm ready to help out. So we'll go from there. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everybody.